You're listening to episode number 76 of The Green Elephant in the Room. This is your host, Eco Rico, and today we're talking about our pets and the planet. Most of us are very close to our pet pals and often treat them like part of the family. I personally am very fond of both Fido and Felix, but that doesn't mean we should ignore all the impacts that pets have so we can have an honest conversation about them. Pets have many benefits, but also a huge environmental impact. The majority of that impact is what we feed them, meat. If all the dogs and cats in America comprised a separate country, their fluffy nation would rank fifth in global meat consumption behind only Russia, Brazil, the United States, and China. For full disclosure, back in the 80s, I had a dog for 16 years. He was a lab mix. He was such a wonderful dog, I never replaced him after he died, and I fed him canned dog food every day of his life. Before discussing commercial pet foods, let's clarify how there's a big difference between cats and dogs' nutritional requirements. Cats are obligate carnivores. This means that they need meat to survive. They cannot get enough nutritional support from plant-based proteins such as grains and vegetables because unlike humans and dogs, they lack the specific enzyme that processes plant-based proteins metabolically. They need few to no carbohydrates in their diet. On the other hand, dogs are omnivores like us. They are more scavengers and have genes that allow them to digest starch. So, what is the problem with pet food? It's all about the meat. Making pet food takes a lot of animal protein, and the current trend is to feed our pets high meat diets. Meat-based diets for humans and animals alike have much larger ecological footprints, or paw prints, than plant-based diets because it takes a lot of land, water, fossil fuels, phosphates, and pesticides to feed pigs, cows, sheep, poultry, and farmed fish. Not surprisingly, a quarter of the environmental impact of meat production comes from the pet food industry. A dog can have a considerably higher carbon footprint than a car, especially if it has a very beef-intensive diet. A large dog's carbon paw print could be up to two times that of a family's car average annual usage. For example, take the standard size dachshund. Feeding them wet food is associated with the equivalent of 3,000 pounds or 1,300 kilograms of CO2 emissions each year. This equates to the total emissions of an average Brazilian citizen. Whether it's dry kibble or pate with gravy, pet food ingredients have come from somewhere, and some are more sustainable than others. Foods that contain high levels of protein are particularly burdensome, especially if those proteins come from high-impact animals, such as cows. There's a lot of confusion about how much protein pets require, with many pet food companies advertising ever higher levels of whole muscle proteins like white meat chicken and salmon fillets, 
while also disparaging fillers. Fillers refers to grains or fibers, but that is basically negative marketing lingo as used by the manufacturers. The issue is, grains provide starch useful for diet structure and are a readily available energy source, and fiber provides many benefits to gut health. So, contrary to many reports, there is no documented health benefits to feeding pets a grain-free diet or one that avoids other plant ingredients. Current grain-free diet trends are about selling pet food, not about pet health, and that can lead to less environmentally sustainable diets. And the worst consequence of all is this, it's causing meat consumption to skyrocket. As mentioned, cats are carnivores, but they don't need 50% protein, which is the levels found in some commonly available cat food products. Instead, vets recommend looking for cat foods with protein ratios in the high 20s and low 30s. Dogs can likely get away with even less protein because they've evolved omnivorous diets that more closely mirror our own. In the Green Elephant podcast episode number three, entitled Five Words That Will Save the Planet, part two, three of those words are eat less meat. That means eating your favorite meat sparingly or as an occasional treat. One thing covered that would benefit the health of you, your pets, and the planet is to add some fillers to your meat dishes, particularly with something like hamburger or meatloaf. You can add cheap but healthy fillers such as cooked or uncooked oatmeal, breadcrumbs, cooked barley or bulgur wheat, grated or finely chopped vegetables like carrots, celery, garlic, onions, potatoes, squash, or zucchini. And you could even do something similar with your dog or cat. The thing is, the future growth of pet foods can be summed up in one word, massive. Last year, the global pet food market was worth north of $100 billion, and it's projected to grow even further as new markets open up. In China, where pet ownership is rare, the market grew by 100% last year. If China follows the trends, we are gonna see hundreds of millions of more pets in existence. The bottom line is that choices about your pet's diet can have implications for its health, your wallet, and the planet. You can have both a healthy and more sustainable approach by feeding your dog or cat diets that contain moderate amounts of meat and feeding your pet only the amount of food it needs to maintain a healthy, lean body weight. There are some hidden reasons why processed dry pet foods are so addictive. From potently smelling additives to the entrails and other internal organs of animals turned into concentrates, pet food companies turn to some surprising ingredients in the quest to make kibble delicious. It's also known as kitty crack. One reason our furry friends like dry food so much is because pet food companies do not play fair when manufacturing this sub-optimal food source. They coat the kibble with extremely enticing animal digest sprays, which are very pleasing to a cat or dog, making a poor quality diet very desirable to the target animal. 
I had a roommate a few years ago who had a small black rabbit. For a large part of every day, the rabbit could be found sitting attentively with his paws on his empty food bowl, waiting his next portion of bunny crack. He used to have an automatic dispenser with a timer, but he learned how to throw it across the room to access its contents prematurely. No matter what delicacies we placed before him, homegrown parsley, soft-cut hay, fresh carrot tops, organic kale, he would always rather eat processed pet food. It seems that this is not unusual. Narratives abound about pets whose thoughts are largely preoccupied with kibble, such as the cat that had a daily panic attack when it realized it had eaten all its pellets, and the pragmatic German Shepherd found carrying a bag of dog food around the streets of Houston after Hurricane Harvey. We have put these stories on the Green Elephant webpage. As it happens, this addictive quality is carefully engineered. Big pet food is a multi-billion dollar industry which invests heavily into research into palatants, ingredients that make our pets want to eat their products. And from potentially smelly chemicals, usually found in rotting meat, to an additive commonly added to potatoes to stop them from discoloring, the quest to make the most scrumptious pet food has led to some surprising insights. The big pet food companies have huge departments to make these palatants, and just like we make them for humans, we make them for pets as well. Okay, with all that talk about pet food, how about if we look at the other end? There are about 90 million dogs in the United States. On average, a dog excretes between a half and three quarters of a pound of waste per day. That creates almost 20 million pounds a year. Now, you may be a responsible pet owner and scoop the poop by putting it in a little plastic bag and disposing of it properly. But once you drop it into a trash can, it doesn't disappear from the face of the earth. It will be transported to a garbage dump where it, like the little plastic bag, will degrade and sadly still go on to pollute creeks, rivers, and lakes across the country. I guess you could carry it home with you and flush it down, allowing your local water treatment to deal with it. But let's face it, for most, that is going to be going way above and beyond. Just don't flush your cat's messes. Although it may seem like an eco-friendly solution, scientists have found that cat feces can pass deadly parasites onto endangered wildlife. All this pet ownership stuff gets complicated, doesn't it? In the U.S., there's about 60 million cats, about two-thirds the number of dogs. They, of course, are smaller and eat less, and so contribute to a smaller amount of the poop party. As for the cat's waste, clay-based cat litter is not exactly sustainable, unable to break down in landfills. Simply put, it's not biodegradable. Most clumping cat litter is made from benetite clay. This type of kitty litter is also not sourced in the greenest manner, as it uses strip mining, a form of mining that entails removing vegetation, trees, rocks, and topsoils to get at the clay. Removing the planet's surface materials in such a manner leads to unrepairable damage to the mining site and environmental disruptions such as erosion. Let's stop here and address a common misconception. 
If you own a dog or a cat or two, it's hard to grasp the scope and scale of the vast numbers of humans, their domesticated livestock, and their companion animals. However, in the aggregate, the resources utilized are truly staggering and growing. I looked up the number of cats and dogs in the world. Coincidentally, the numbers parallel the U.S. The number of dogs in the U.S. is 90 million and 900 million globally. Cats, 60 million in the United States and 600 million worldwide. So that means the U.S. with about 4% of the world population owns 10% of the world's pets. Pet ownership has always been a marker of a nation's wealth. And as countries grow richer, so does a desire for companion animals. One final word, first on dogs. If you have ever been anywhere near a dog, with some exceptions, you can see how happy they are. When you come home to your dog, it's absolute unbridled joy. Seeing my neighbors walking their dogs is to see dogs experience sheer delight, absolute elation. It is a pleasure to witness. So what is the reason they are so ecstatically happy? They were bred that way. Tens of thousands of years ago, before the internet, before the industrial revolution, before literature and mathematics, bronze and iron, before the advent of agriculture, early humans formed an unlikely partnership with another animal, the gray wolf. The fates of our two species became braided together. The wolves changed in body and temperament. Their skulls, teeth, and paws shrank. Their ears flopped. They gained a docile disposition, becoming both less frightening and less fearful. They learned to read the complex expressions that ripple across human faces. We fed them, bred them, and spread them from continent to continent. While other wolf descendants died out, dogs grew into a new species. We invented the dog. Through selection, we've hardwired human compatibility into dogs. We've made a species in our image. But that wasn't enough. We had specific needs. We bred hunting dogs, herding dogs, sled dogs, and guard dogs. Humans have created the modern domesticated dog. Probably the most telling marker is in their names. German Shepherd, Portuguese Water Dog, Japanese Akita, Chesapeake Bay Retriever, English Springer Spaniel, Boston Terrier, Siberian Husky, Australian Shepherd, German Short-Haired Pointer, English Bulldog, French Bulldog, Labrador Retriever. Look at it this way, if humans had never existed, dogs would not exist. If humans disappeared from the face of the earth, so would the domesticated dog. Cats, on the other hand, are miniature replicas of lions and tigers and panthers and pumas. If they were as big, they would kill and eat you. Domesticated cats are believed to have descended from an ancient type of wildcat in Egypt. Unlike other domesticated animals, which have been bred for different physical traits to help with tasks such as food, 
hunting, or security, modern cat breeds originated mostly within the last 150 years from breeding for physical traits with no differentiation in functionality, just aesthetic differences. As cuddly and as cute as they are, cats are killers, and the magnitude of mortality they create is staggering. It's hard to get global figures, but in the U.S. alone, free-roaming felines kill approximately 3 billion birds and 20 billion mammals and reptiles annually, far more than any other cause of mortality. And they are efficient mass murderers. Researchers looking at 21,000 records from a hospital for wild animals found that the animals injured by cats Despite their best efforts, 75% didn't survive their injuries. The Union for Conservation of Nature has listed the domesticated cat as one of the world's 100 worst invasive species. Estimates are that cats can have four to ten times the impact of a wild predator. Countries like New Zealand and Australia are particularly impacted by feral cats. Both countries have had many species driven to extinction. Australia's federal parliament released a report that confirmed that cats were the primary drivers of mammal extinctions in the country. They found that each individual feral cat in Australia kills 390 mammals, 225 reptiles, and 130 birds. The Australians have found that the only way they can help many of their endangered species to survive is to build huge specialized cat-proof enclosures. One enclosed space encompasses 36 square miles to create an area where native species could recover. Some biologists have called for outdoor cats to be declared an invasive species and their populations controlled, just like if they were feral pigs or giant hornets. It would focus attention on cats as a threat to biodiversity and a threat that should be managed, just like we manage other threats to biodiversity. We have put a variety of ways cats can be controlled to stop them from committing this biological, apocalyptic annihilation on our webpage, with a link in the show notes. One, of course, would be neutering as one feral cat can produce as many as 100 kittens in her lifetime. Researchers found something as simple as playing with your cat for as little as 10 minutes a day could reduce by a quarter the amount of wildlife that that cat kills. Considering we are talking about tens of billions of animals slaughtered annually, one quarter is a substantial amount. Yes, cats can be undeniably adorable in the right setting, but cats are elegant assassins of small animals if given the chance. They are killing animals that you may not see as an owner. They are also disrupting the actions and behaviors of birds and other wild native creatures and even if they don't catch and kill, all of that adds up to a major disruption of the ecosystem. I have a neighbor who constantly shares news about all the birds his cat kills. When I tell him that's not right, he will say it's natural for cats because of their hunting instinct. I have to remind him that his cat is an invasive species and that is no excuse for massacring native species.
As we're recording this in July of 2023, the planet is experiencing deadly, record-breaking heat waves, fire smoke, and flooding. This blitz of extreme weather events is posing dangers to life and infrastructure and exposing our vulnerabilities even at today's relatively modest level of warming at about 1.2 C or a little over 2 degrees Fahrenheit. You would think that with the world witnessing our climate going off the rails, global citizens would be clamoring for decisive climate action. Sadly, the opposite is true. Recent polling in the U.S. revealed that just 8% of Americans identified global warming as the most important issue facing the country, falling behind the economy, jobs, and health care. In another poll, Americans were asked, what is the best way to shrink your carbon footprint? Consumers overwhelmingly believe recycling is the most important eco-action you can take. This is over other options such as living car-free, avoiding long-haul flights, or even having children. And the worst part? Most people don't even recycle. The point is, even with all the decades that climate has been an issue, and the impacts that many are often personally suffering from themselves, the majority of humanoids say they are concerned about the environment, but are fundamentally clueless. Another report that came out a few years ago I just came across, researchers found that even with things like punishing temperatures or smoky skies or extreme rains and flooding, humans can grow accustomed to those extremes within as little as two years. Just two years to adjust to the insanity. The bad news. Here's the shocking truth. It's always been this way. There are only a tiny percentage of committed individuals that can see the smoke and the fire. That slim minority needs to unite and demand change. The good news, once that few get the ball rolling, the majority of global citizens will support their efforts. How do we go about this monumental effort? The Green Elephant has dedicated a series of podcasts episodes 62 through 66 about how this can be accomplished. Plus, the Green Elephant has designed a comprehensive online encyclopedia of eco-solutions. Called A Call to Act, it is a well-organized, thoughtfully laid out resource of hundreds of climate groups to join and eco-action activities to be taken. You won't find a single thing about recycling in it. It is packed with people and organizations doing something. This is your grand opportunity to join them in our literal fight with fire, water, and earth. There is no simple solution. There is no easy fix. It is going to take the efforts of millions of concerned planetary citizens to turn the Titanic around before the iceberg melts. You can find links to both in the show notes.